Hey, week two, episode two, Guns and Butter podcast, your boy Ranso, and we back, man. I know it's Thursday. I know it's Thursday. I'm a day late, but I promise you I'm not a dollar short. We will be posting on Wednesdays. Had a lot going on this week, but we will be posting on Wednesdays, and we will have what I like to call entries at random times during the week, but you will get the main episode every Wednesday here on Guns and Butter podcast. I should be everywhere now. I should be on Spotify. I should be on Apple Podcasts by now. I should be on all these apps. So follow, like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff they tell you to do on YouTube all the time that you never do. But do it for me. Make sure you do it for me. And if I can ask one favor, like my guy Andy Frisella always asked, which I thought always was a good idea. Look, reach out and just put one person on the podcast at a time. We don't need to give it to everybody. We don't need to get a game to everybody. We need to get a game to the people who need it and who can understand it. So if you know somebody who's smart like you, can take on these big ideas like you, who like to learn, who like to hear people speak about real, put them on. Tell them to check us out, join the community, and we all rocking out together. So today I am going to talk about one of my favorite things to argue with people about, the American dream. The American dream. What is the American dream? And I'm pretty sure mostly everybody not only has an idea what the American dream is, but they have the American dream as their dream by way of mental inception. Shit, since they were born. I mean, this is what we were told we basically live for. You're born, and after, you know, you go through childhood, and you get through your teen years, you start looking and saying, hey, son, get ready to be an adult. You got some things to take care of. So we got you prepped up with um, elementary and middle and high school, and I'll tell you how that was, you know, prepping. Then you go into college, then you go and get that dream job, and then what you want after your dream job? You already know we got to get the dream house to match, dream car with it, and this is what we were told our whole lives. So let's let's take a step to analyze this from top to bottom. We're gonna start with school. Now, school is very interesting because in ancient times everybody wasn't able to go to school. School was reserved only for noble people or high-ranking people in society to send their kids to be able to grow to be leaders or able to manage the family's wealth and assets and be able to make critical decisions and have a broad view of life and how the world works, right? So if you think of school back in the days, school might have been like an all-star basketball game. You know what I'm saying? At a school, you might, in Greece, you might have Alexander the Great. You know, you, you have whoever was, you know, great around his time. You uh, uh, Cleopatra went to school, I think they said with uh, Marcus, or not Marcus Aurelius, or Marcus, Mark Anthony at the same time, something like that. But these people will go to these schools and they will learn about history, math, science, astrology, astronomy, learn several different languages, how to, how to deal with money, 
this was what school was about. So it's funny that a lot of our arguments about school and the curriculums today was actual, actually the original curriculums for school. Just give us the meat and potatoes. What do I need to do to live? Or what do I need to do for my life specifically? I'm getting trained to be a leader. How do I make better decisions as a leader? I want to be a blacksmith. How do I be a blacksmith? And those those schools were the only schools where a poor or common person could probably enter in and make something better of themselves. Or else you would probably just take on whatever the family business is. You know, so you can take an apprenticeship and become uh, a butcher or a blacksmith or, or a horse breeder or a horse trainer and and maybe switch up your living conditions like that. But outside of that, you probably just tended to whatever the family tended to. So, you know, just digging in school around the time when the world became a little bit more industrialized, uh, the powers that be started to say, how can we prep people as early as possible to be ready for the factory jobs or these new jobs we have coming up that are assembly line jobs? And we need you to do a specific task for as long as possible in a day. And function very well, but we only want you to do enough of the tasks to justify what we want to pay, right? So, with taking the old concept of school, they remixed it, but this time they made it for poor people. So now, where these kids were going to schools and discussing these big ideas and working with some of the greatest minds of our time that we know of. The kids today, they're going to school and being taught by somebody who might have been trained just to teach somebody what's in front of them. In this school, you have to be there at a specific time. Every time a, uh, a time interval changes or you have to be in another space, you're trained with a bell. The bell rings and the, and the bell rings and you have to go to this next place and they tell you when you can talk and when you can't talk and... Um, when you can run and when you can't run and sometimes you got to take a nap or all this training and, and it's for what? And when we look at what they teach you in school, it's never to learn or, or take on ideas yourself. It's what does this book say? Read it. Did you remember it? Okay, prove it by picking the right choice. All right, you pick B, you're right. And the reward is you get promoted. You get a higher grade and they reinforce in your mind you don't need to make your own decisions. We'll give you the decisions and we just need you to comply. And if you comply, you get rewarded for complying. Ain't that some shit? Yes, this is our school system. So as they implemented this, you can see America ramped up crazy in the industrial age. And that started the time where we, we well, during that time, we became a world power because of the money and then shortly after the wars that came. But the wars were won at home in the factories because everybody was ready to go and add to the... Ah, it's crazy. Just add to the machine. You get what I'm saying? So now we got all these kids already prepped, ready, just to listen and, and, and follow the rules. These schools ain't teach you how to think critically or just 
that you're going to be hit with certain things in life you ain't ready for. And that's why we tend to have so much anxiety and depression in these disorders because we're not trained to handle just the normal parts of life that we're going to come anyway. And just to think for ourselves or even encourage us to learn for ourselves. Like, you know, I always thank my dad for coming home when we were kids. Well, actually, Motive wasn't even born yet, but I remember the first time he came home and sat and watched the Discovery Channel with me. You know, as a kid, anything your dad does is the greatest. So I always thought that was so dope. And it, and it got me to stick with learning and stay with the Discovery Channel. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I got with the dinosaurs and and just learning about animals and, and animal documentaries and science. And, then, you know, that grew into watching Bill Nye and the Kratz Brothers. And, and then I just got hooked. I love education. To this day, that's 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 part of my daily process. If it's not reading, it's learning something new, learning something old, re you know going over it again. I love it, and it, it started there. So that's why we really got to be mindful what we put in our kids' heads and what we show them with our actions, because we can tell them all day what they should do or what they shouldn't do. But the game changer for me was actually being with my dad and learning with him, and kind of verifying or reassuring me that was the thing to do and my mom also she always trusted me to make good decisions even as a kid I don't know if she just felt it but she trusted me to make good decisions and she let me hang loose man she didn't tie me down make me go to church she didn't stay on top of you know my grades and, and stuff in school after a certain age because she knew I can kind of handle it which I wasn't making the best grades, but I would guarantee that I was going to pass into the next grade. And then I always wasn't gifted. So I would just tend to finesse the system just because I knew exactly what I needed to do to get out of here. I didn't have to. I didn't understand school back then. You know, the, like the wrong answer being the right answer because they said it. Or somebody just telling me that they know more than me when... Really, if you look at it, uh, a third grade teacher isn't exactly um, a history expert. You get it? So if I'm home learning about history all the time and you just read this passage every time it comes up in the class, I might be more of an expert to you. And I was already thinking like this as a kid, you know, not trying to be rude, but I understood that concept because I wasn't just trained to obey like a dog, you know, which also caused me hella trouble. So warning to everybody who want to walk down that path, be ready to fight at all times because people hate this. But with school, man, biggest gripes, it doesn't allow us to develop not only the skills we need, but uh, maybe a career path that would be more tailored to our personal skills. You know, like. It's, you don't think about what you want to do as you go through school from elementary to high school. It's kind of just sprung on you at the last minute of high school, and then they pull out pamphlets and say, what would you like to do? And most people make the wrong decision because it's okay to make the wrong decision. It's just not okay when you have to double down and spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to make the wrong decision just to see you made the wrong decision and have to double back and 
start over, or just stick with the wrong decision and try to make something out of it. It's very simple. I honestly feel, and I'm not going to go too deep into it, but it's very simple, bro. Basic life skills. What are you good at? What do you like to do? This is the time to figure it out. And by the time you get out of here, you should have a pretty good idea of where you're going or where you want to go at. Now, this is just um, this is just a starting point for the dream because now you have to go into college and then you have to pay to figure out what you want to do. And a lot of people, I didn't go to college, but a lot of my friends don't use their degrees. They don't even like the the areas they have their degree in, but they were pushed into going to college because you can hear a random statistic, uh, whatever, 80% of college grads make more money than people who didn't go to college. Like, that's such a broad statement. That doesn't mean anything. But numbers do lie, and that may be an episode later, how numbers do lie, because they're easily manipulated. But you hear that. And you say, well, let me pick one of these jobs and you look at them and you don't look at them by what they do. You look at them by the salary and you pick a salary you think you might be OK with and you just go from there and you start uh, a new journey on the course to a dead end job. And boy, when it hits you that you're in a place you shouldn't be. It sucks. Now. What do you do? Most people, since there's money attached to it, they stick through it. They feel like this is just part of the growing pains, and I'll get over it once I start getting that money. You know, I hate this job, but I'm supposed to get paid six figures, so I can thug it out. Then we move on to the job, which is supposed to be the dream job now. Jobs. Most jobs, especially nowadays, with so much access to everybody, they don't factor in work-life balance. And a lot of what we consider depression and anxiety, I can't diagnose it, but we, we all kind of know the symptoms and we're familiar with them. But what we attribute to that comes right from just being stressed, you know, not having enough time to yourself, having too much on your mind. You, now you're taking work home. And having to work more at home. But home is a job. You got a family. You got kids. You got a spouse to tend to. Now that's more stress. So stress is supposed to be there to aid you in life or death situations. To have you super focused on staying alive. But in a constant state of stress at all times. It's counterproductive it's actually killing you and we don't know this you know high blood pressure yes that's food but that's also stress ulcers uh man so many diseases and and things can just be credited to the stress we have from jobs and just trying to make a living and trying to keep up man you know keep your head above the water so a job they have no interest or no skin in the game at actually giving you more of a work-life balance because also the stress that you have from the job keeps you coming to the job, keeps you on point at the job, keeps you in a state of always ready 
at all times to serve this job. So why would they fix that? It's no point. My job was very heavily built on overtime. And overtime is very funny because if you just glance at it as it's offered to you, it seems like, yeah, why wouldn't I stay longer and make more money? I wasn't going to do shit anyway. Why not? But in reality, there is a point where overtime not only doesn't make sense anymore, but it's you're getting taxed on it more. Um, now, work-life balance done on overtime is crazy because what you're effectively doing is selling your time for money. And you can always get money, but you can't always get time. My oldest son, from working so much, I was there for sure, but I missed a lot of critical moments where my job is so demanding. I'm not even making a decision to stay as a part of the job. It's something you signed up for. And you signed up for your job in a state where you would do anything to have what they're going to give you. So you, it's just like a record deal. Like all these guys you hear signing these bad record deals where if you're poor and I'm giving you 500 grand up front to ch- immediately change your situation, you might not be looking past that point. And that's usually the trap. So, you know, you join these jobs and say, yeah, you have to commit uh, to to the company and you have to be ready to work. And that's all fine and dandy at first until it's not fine, until you're missing birthday parties and you're missing life events that you don't want to miss anymore. And it become, starts to become a strain because a lot of your your problems you had at the beginning when you first signed up for this job, which was money, which was not having things. You have them now. You, you've you've gained them from working and now you have them. You're satiated. You feel the the fullness of having the things you wanted. But now you're starting to see the things you really want to do had to sacrifice to have the things you thought you wanted. You get what I'm saying? You buy the big TV to sit at home to never watch because you're at work. You work for the TV. You have the huge house, the huge, beautiful house to never be in because you're at work because you have to pay for the house. What sense does that make? Not very much. Because now you serve two masters. Who are these masters? One, you can consider your job, taxes, the government. And now, the things that you were obsessed with, they're your new master. That pool you added on, that's $20,000 that you finance. You work for the pool now. That big-ass house... That's too much house for you and your family. You work for that house now. And that's putting a strain on the family. You ain't noticing because you think everybody's happy because they have things. Fun fact. Over 60% of the people in my last line of work. Their marriage is ending divorce. Because the amount of time you have to be at. That kind of a job. In 2019, or was that 18? Yes. No, 2018, I literally worked enough hours that would have equaled a year and a half of work 
in one year. Three of those months, I was I was gone on work, so I didn't really spend any time with my family during that time. Just to make a little bit more money, you know, and it was a lot of money. That money's gone now. I don't got it today. Most people can't keep it like that because there's other things involved with keeping money that saving just won't do. Follow live.learn.hustle on Instagram and learn a little bit more about that. But these families end up broken because you have a husband with honest intentions trying to provide for his family, give him the better things in life. But he's selling his time, and his time is really what they needed. You ain't got no damn time to yourself. So you might be serving three masters. You might be serving your family. You might be serving your things. And you might be serving your job. Right? What are you doing for yourself? Silence. I let that silence there because... That's exactly what people do. Nothing for themselves. But this is the job. This is the life we chose. And the sad part is when we get there, we just triple down and get the main ingredient for the American dream. The house. So I argue with a lot of people about this all the time because they assume that I'm arguing from the stance of a person who isn't a homeowner and who's trying to justify not being a homeowner. Well, I could tell you right now, I've been in a position to own a house a lot of times. And I also felt the pressure of owning a house because it seemed like if you make this type of money, you should be owning something, right? But in my heart, I never wanted to own a house. I was just cool with kicking it around, living in condos, experiencing life, having fun. And with being in music at the time, I just didn't want to commit to anything like a house. I I always wanted to be ready to move at the drop of a dime. You know, if I had to move to L.A., I'd move to L.A. If I got to move to Atlanta, I'd move to Atlanta, if that made sense. Should I go to New York, Texas, wherever I need to go for my dreams? So I never wanted that type of attachment. It wasn't a goal of mine. And it's not the goal of most 20-year-olds. 20-year-olds, It's something they're told they're supposed to do. So what is a house stop? Well, I could tell you right now, starting off, a house stops you from pursuing your dream because A house is a huge responsibility, and I know that's something very small to say because we all know that, but you don't know until you know. And it is very hard to double down, triple down like you need to on your dream because a dream isn't a job. You have to give 10 times the effort. You can't give that with too many things that that are priority over your dream. You stretch too thin. And most people start to realize that as they get into their house, and they become the servant to the house. 
And one of the biggest misconceptions about owning your own home and your first home is, yes, get a home because it is an investment. An investment. Everybody wants to be an investor. And it's easy to just sign a paper and pay something to uh, a mortgage and say, I'm an investor because I own my own home. Well, if your home isn't an investment, it's not an investment. You get it? If it isn't an investment, it's not an investment. And I'll say it one more time so you don't forget. If it isn't an investment, it's not an investment. What does that mean? If you did not buy this house with an intentions of utilizing it as an investment, you will not get the fruit of it being an investment. If you bought a house with an intentions of it being your dream home, or your family home, that's what it is. And that's more of an investment into your family's future, more so your kids, because it's probably a 30 year mortgage anyway. It's for them, for them to start off on the right foot, if that's the case. But what makes a home an investment? Strategically picking where you want your home to be, the right place that's going to grow as time goes in areas that are being developed or revitalized or have a lot of amenities and, and things to enjoy. That's an investment stance. Um, can you add things to the house that are increase the value? You know, like, yes, a pool will increase the value, but is that the main thing? No, a new roof would, new electrical panels would, new windows immediately, new flooring, up to date. Like, these are things that you start on first on a home that you consider an investment. And also, inside that home, you cannot treat that as if that's your castle, because it's not a castle, it's an investment. So when you start doing the castle treatment to your home, it is no longer an investment. It is your home. It is part of your ego because these are things you need to show off to people who come to your house and show them, look what I got. I made it. This is mine. And that's cool. I can't wait to show my house off one day. But that's not an investment. You have to treat it like an investment. You have to track it like an investment. An investment would be, you know, a lot of people want to do living flips on duplexes. Uh, that was the right idea, but everybody got that idea at the wrong time. The game was already over. But that's the, that's a great idea. You live on one side. Somebody lives on the other side. They help you pay your mortgage. And you can move out, put another tenant in, get another house, and that is really an investment. That's what you call an investment. And not, not to mention... Man, if you ever lived in a house that wasn't in the best condition and you, you've you experienced needing an electrician, needing a plumber, needing a roofer, needing somebody to do this or do that, those bills add up and become very, very high fast very high fast and you always have to track that since this is your investment and see okay what's a liability and what's the asset and these are all liabilities now for something to be an investment the assets have to outpace the liabilities meaning the growth of the value of your house has to outpace not only inflation but it but it has to outpace the overhead 
everything you have to fix. And these things add up. Redoing your electrical might be $5,000. Redoing your roof over the course of the, uh, the time you've owned the house can be anywhere between ten dollars to $20,000 where you live at. It could be higher than that. Plumbing has to be attended to. And over the lifespan of your house, you're going to have to do one of these things or uh, one of each of these categories at least one time. That's just usually how it works out. So when you look at the 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 end result of you owning this house over these 30 years, you have to see that the value of your house grew to this number. You have to add up everything, the overhead, the taxes, everything, and then you subtract that from what your house is, house is worth at that moment, and then you will see wasn't an investment i'm not saying it's not possible to have your first home be your investment i'm just saying most people don't go into it with that mindset so you either create that mindset or realize that might not be what you need and don't forget the little shit like all your friends getting ready to go on that group trip hey yo we going to columbia we're going to DR. We're going to Tulum. And you can't go because all your bread tied up in the house. The mortgage coming up. Um, Something happened. The, the pipe bust. You got to pay for this. You got to pay for that. Now you can't go. Factoring that back into your dream. Can't invest in some of the things you want to when money going out in that direction. Or just the personal development. Learning. You know. Going back to school, that, that becomes a strain on you because not only the time you committed to the job, but the financial commitment you've made to the house. It get tough. A lot of people don't like to talk about this shit because they're in it. They don't want to feel embarrassed. They don't want to feel like they made a mistake. Who gives a fuck? We make mistakes. We make mistakes. You got the fucking house too early. You know? You pick the wrong job. You double down. Okay. Tomorrow is always a new day. You got a ch- you got a chance to redo it. But the fear of starting over, the fear of being embarrassed, the fear of not being able to know what happens when you jump off that ledge still holds people back. And it holds them back to continue to double down. Because... The things we show feed our ego. What how people feel about us makes us feel good. And that's the vicious cycle. You could literally just go get a condo. Condos fly as shit. I stayed downtown in a condo. I rented it. That was probably the most fun I ever had. I'm glad I got that experience. And I found out that I might not even really be built for the condo life. So Killed two birds with one stone. I experienced it. Lived down there by myself. Had a blast. Lived a downtown Miami life. Come on, man. Downtown Miami? You already know. But then I realized, ah, I'm more of a blue-collar person. I like breaking the grill out. I like having my truck parked. I like having all my tools. I want to have a boat one day. 
I like chilling in the yard. I want to have a garden. And now I know what I want. So now I have my plan set up for the specific type of house that I need that fits all my needs and wants together. There's nothing to feel bad about. Like, again, I went through my whole 20s. Great job. Never having a house. And sometimes I felt bad. I felt bad after the 2008. And um, a lot of my friends got houses at that time. And it was a great time to buy a house. So I, I missed those opportunities. But I'm not too mad at them because it just wasn't something I wanted to deal with. And it still worked out. Now, what do we get from this? Sum it all up. It's not about the American dream. It's about your dream. What you want. What you want out of this. What's the career? What do you see yourself doing forever? What do you see yourself doing where you can wake up at any time, put on your stuff, and smile going to it, saying, I got no problem doing this. What do you see yourself living where you can come home and say, this is my sanctuary. This is exactly what I needed. I got my gaming system set up. I got my, my desk set up. I got my art studio on the side. I got my, my studio equipment set up. Or I got my garden outside. I can go out here and meditate. I got my grill. I got my patio. This is my my area of peace. I got it in the right neighborhood. I'm right where I want to be at. It's not killing me on the price. I may have, you know, put the money up at the right time for me. This is all a part of the plan. And I can't tell you what that plan is because it's got to be yours. You can use some of my plans and my strategies to make a model for your plan, but it's got to be yours. Don't live like me. Live how you want to live. And don't let anybody tell you how you're supposed to live. They always tell you it's a great time to buy because they're selling it. You should have this car because you're going to have to buy it from them. You need to have a house by this age because you have to buy it for them, from them. And when you buy it, if you can't keep it, they'll come back and take it and sell it to the next person for the same price or more. You get stuck with the bad credit. You've defaulted. They're not here to help you make a decision after buy. And that's what we got to see. What are you selling? Anytime somebody offers you what they say your dream should be, you got to ask them, what are you selling? If they ain't selling nothing, you know what? Hear them out. But if somebody's selling you a house, an education, a job that benefits them more than you, Gotta be weary. Don't want to have buyer's remorse. Chasing this dream. With that said, I think I ran past a little longer than I wanted to run, but I think you guys get the picture. That was this week's episode on the Guns and Butter podcast. And I can't wait for y'all to see who I'm booking as the guest. If you're from Miami, you're from the crib, South Florida, so flow. Y'all will be a lot more familiar with these people, but these will be stories y'all never heard, situations y'all never heard about. 
and we're gonna really dig deep onto their mindset, into their mindset. So look out for that, and look out for my entries, man. I might hit y'all with a little quick five, ten minute motivational or a quick little thought that I might have. You know, I drop it on here, something for us to discuss, and we'll and we'll talk about it. So, man, it's been a pleasure. I love it. I love the the response. I love the reaction. Shout out to everybody who've been supporting the podcast, um, pushing the clips, everything, man. I appreciate all y'all. Like I said, man, just it, it, it ain't about having everybody. We don't need everybody on the team. We just need the right people. And if we all link up and get on the right page, we're going to go somewhere. Simple as that. It's simple math. Each one teach one, you know. Until next week, it's your boy Ranso, and this is the Guns and Butter Podcast. We out.